is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. Colossians, and we're going to be looking at just a very short passage in chapter 2. And what I'm hoping to do this morning is just to help you understand what's happening and what God is speaking to us about. Uh, So we're going to read, I'm going to read from this very small print, (laughs) or I'm just getting older. Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 13, Paul says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, when Tim uh, came forward in the meeting and just brought that passage from Isaiah, this incredible vision that Isaiah had of a holy, holy, holy God enthroned in heaven, worshipped adored, all-powerful, almighty. Isaiah's response is to say, woe is me, I am ruined. Because when he stood before a holy God, he became aware that he was unclean. Maybe you feel a bit like that this morning. Maybe in worshipping a holy God, just in the words that have been sung or said, or just the presence of his spirit, you realize you're unclean. And um, the good news is, you're not alone. Every single one of us, when we come before God, we're unclean. We have all done things wrong in our lives. Paul says, we are uh, dead in our sins. You were dead in your sins. So we just need to think about what that means because sin is a very biblical word. What are we talking about? This is a bit of an alpha exercise, so some of you will be familiar with this. Thanks, David. (laughs) But we just need, I mean, you might know that. You might be aware this morning, you just know that. Um, I just want to confirm, it's true, we all have sinned. We've all messed up. We were thinking at Alpha the other week about how honest we've been in our lives um, right from those moments when you're a child and your, your parent walks in the room after you've done something and there's a dreadful mess, there's crayon on the walls or there's spilt drink on the floor and your mum or your dad wants to know who did that and your answer is, I don't know, or she did. Or it might be the kind of little white lie that you tell just to make things better or to get yourself out of trouble might be what you put down on your tax return. There might have been some point in your life where you were a little less than honest. Well, that's sin. 
Anything less than God's perfect standard, that's what the Bible calls sin. And we have all fallen short of his standard. We've, we've all done it. And we recognize it in other people really easily, don't we? So, you know, when someone gets in a car and they start driving through residential areas in some town in Wales, deliberately running over men and women and children, we recognize that's wrong. We recognize the pain that wrongdoing causes people. We know when a five-year-old child is abducted and abused and murdered, we know that's wrong. We know that sin damages people's lives. And actually, we know that people who have sinned must be punished. We must have justice when people do things wrong. We cry out for that. We want that in our country. We want justice. We're pleased when people in secret and in dark do things that are wrong, when they're brought out into the open and they're exposed. And the courts find people guilty and there's judgment. That's only too right. And if it's true for everybody else, it has to be true for us too, doesn't it? My sin spoils my life and other people's lives. And it's only right that it should be punished. And if God is holy and just, there will be justice for sin. Won't there? God's not going to ignore it. He can't condone it. If he did, he would be less than God. Actually, right the way through people's relationship with God, God has dealt with sin in the only way that God can. He punishes it. So in Adam and Eve, whatever you make of that story, rebel. God clothes them in an animal skin. Where does that come from? God has sacrificed an animal as justice for their sin and clothed them in the skin. And right the way through the Old Testament, there is this increasing revelation of how a holy God punishes sin. They confess their sin over animals who are slaughtered so that they can be forgiven. These increasing pictures, this greater revelation keeps coming. But something isn't right. Something doesn't work about that. It's not sufficient for an animal to pay the price for a human being's sin. So God has a greater plan. And in God's great plan, he himself is born. When Paul writes to the Colossians, just in verse 9, just before, he says of Jesus, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. The beginning of Colossians is a really well-known passage. If you, if you uh, have re- read the Bible very much or you've been around very much, you will know that uh, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. We know that Jesus made all things. All things were made by him and through him and for him. And he's before all things. He is God. Jesus has eternally existed as God. We worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy, holy, holy. 
who was and is and is to come. Trinity, completeness, as Tim spoke about. Jesus was there right at the beginning. He is in very nature God. Jesus is God in a body. And he came and he lived a perfect life as only God could. And he chose to go to the cross. From the moment that the disciples first realize who he is, when Peter confesses near Caesarea Philippi, you are the Christ, Jesus starts to explain to them he is going to go to the cross. John the Baptist called him the Passover lamb, the lamb of God. He's the one who's going to pay the price for our sins. That's what Paul is writing about here in Colossians. We were dead in our sins. There was nothing we could do about it. And yet God has made us alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. When the Romans crucified people, they wanted some kind of explanation for the crowds who were around. So they put a plaque at the top of the cross with two really important bits of information. First bit of information is the name of the person who was being crucified so that people knew who he was. The plaque over Jesus' head read, Jesus, King of the Jews. The second bit of information that they put there was the crime that they had committed the reason why they were being crucified. What has this person done that leads to this punishment? That wasn't on the plaque, on Jesus' cross. Because the man who had the authority to send him there couldn't find anything wrong that he had done. Pilate washed his hands. I find no sin in this man. What I see when I look at Jesus on the cross in my mind's eye and I see his name on the plaque, I see now to that cross everything I have ever done that falls short of the glory of God. The reason Jesus went to the cross is to take upon himself the punishment and the justice and God's wrath about our sin so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be set free. Jesus died so that we could have life. And on the Sunday morning, despite all their fears, and all their loneliness, and all their confusion, the disciples met the resurrected Jesus. They spoke to him. They touched him. They ate with him. They were absolutely persuaded that Jesus was raised from the dead. And with him, you too were given life. He made us alive in Christ. And the 
And the resurrection is not an afterthought in the mind of God. The resurrection demonstrates that what Jesus achieved on the cross was everything necessary for you to have life. The cross is not a defeat which God somehow trumped with the resurrection. The cross is a victory. It's at the cross that Jesus disarmed the powers that led you to sin and rebel against God in the first place. It's at the cross that Jesus takes away every hold that the enemy has ever had on your life. He has no power over you anymore. I think it was this week, I get a bit confused by the news, was a man found guilty this week of jumping into the Thames and disrupting the boat race? Was that this week or last week? I don't know if you saw that. I grew up in the boat race because my, my parents are Cambridge people. And uh, so that was kind of compulsory all through my youth. Watch the boat race. Um, it didn't really go very well this year because someone jumped in the river and was swimming between the boats. He got in the way. Uh, the race couldn't carry on. It's kind of void. Actually, you know, if we are in a race... And the Bible sometimes says, compares the Christian life to a race. The enemy cannot get in the water or on the track to stop you doing your very best. He can shout from the sidelines, but he has no power or authority over you at all. He has been disarmed. Jesus made a public spectacle of him. One of the looser translations of the Bible says, at the cross, Jesus humiliated the enemy. That's the victory that we live in now. So now, when we have a revelation of a holy, holy, holy God, we do not stand here and say, I am undone. I am unclean. We stand before God and we say, I am righteous through faith in Jesus. You deserve to be before God because justice has been done. We stand here victorious. That's, that's how God calls us to live, to live in victory. Not in embarrassment, not in shame, not in uncertainty. We have been raised to life with Jesus all the power of heaven is poured out upon the church through the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Okay. We're starting to sound a bit more enthusiastic. Listen, we have sung so many songs this morning about that message of the cross. And you know, sometimes I think we just need to remind ourselves of the great, great victory that Jesus has won. Life crowds in. You know, we have problems, things get tough, but we are more than conquerors, Paul says somewhere else, because of him who loved us. Because this victory is so absolute. Now, the last thing I want to pull out of Alpha from this week. So, we saw somebody trust in Jesus this week. We saw somebody else have one of those light bulb, life-changing moments. Um, we looked at the story of a man called Blondin who is a famous tightrope walker. And uh, he walked tightropes across the Niagara Falls with a balance bar across and back. 
And there was a royal party went to see him once. So he put on a special show. He walked across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope on stilts. I can't even imagine how you do that. He did it blindfolded. He walked to the middle, cooked an omelette and ate it. He got a wheelbarrow and he wheeled it across. He got a sack of potatoes, he put it in the wheelbarrow, he wheeled it across. He went up to the Duke of Newcastle and he says, do you believe that if a man climbed in the wheelbarrow, I could take him across the Niagara Falls? The Duke of Newcastle said, yeah, I do. Blondin said, then get in. The Duke of Newcastle declined. Blondin's mother got in the wheelbarrow and he wheeled her across the Niagara Falls. Why do I tell that story? Because there is a difference in believing that he could do it and trusting him to do it. Now, maybe you've been around church a bit. Maybe you've heard the gospel loads. Maybe you believe it. But until you trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, you cannot walk in the victory and in the life that he promises. It's not enough just to say in your head, I believe that. Faith as a friend of mine says, is a doing word. It requires an action. It must affect how we live, the decisions that we make, the things that we say. It has to. Maybe this morning, it's time for you to jump in the wheelbarrow. Maybe this morning, it's time to transition from, yeah, I believe that, to... I'm going to trust in him for the forgiveness of my sins. Or maybe this morning you're just aware that you've let that slide a little. And as we've been singing, John and I have been here, Lou's brought something, Tim brought that passage, we're just convinced that God is calling us to say, you know what, Lord, we are trusting you again. For you, you know, if you're anything like me, you have these moments in life. There's no great shame in it. I've let that slide. I've been making my own choices again. Now is the moment I'm going to jump back in the wheelbarrow, Lord. I'm going to ask the band to come forward. We are, we are going to sing. I want to do a very brief, give you the possibility of responding and doing something practical. There are, there are one or two things that John wants to say because we haven't done notices and things like normal. It's not been a normal morning, has it, John? <laughs> so, demonstrating trust in Blondin required getting in the wheelbarrow. Trusting in Jesus requires a response. I want to give you the opportunity as a way of demonstrating you are making that choice of getting out your seat and coming to the front and just in your own way being able to say to the Lord, I'm trusting you. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus paid the price. You are forgiven.
You are alive. You are free. You are very, very loved. We have an opportunity to say, Lord, I'm going to live my life in the light of that. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. You can start playing when I pray if you like. That won't put me off. Let's do this. Father God, thank you that you love us. Thank you for the justice of the cross. Thank you for the forgiveness of my sin. Thank you that I have been made alive with Jesus. Thank you for the power of your spirit in my life to enable me to walk in victory. Father, right now, right now, I'm saying, I trust you. Jesus, I trust you completely. I want to live for the glory of our God. Okay, we're going to sing. If you want to make that personal and just do something that demonstrates that's your choice this morning, just come to the front while we sing this song. People will be here to pray with you. It's not the end of the meeting, so um, let's stand. This will help. Stand up. This will help everybody. We're going to worship. Please do come to the front if you want to jump in the wheelbarrow. John's going to round things off in a minute or two.